I were the devil, I'd be ticked off. Ticked off to see you reading a Christian book, thinking godly thoughts, dreaming about heaven, and other such blah, blah, blah. How dare you ponder God's story? What about my story? I had my eyes on you. Had plans for you. That's what I would think. If I were the devil, I'd get busy. I'd get, if I were the devil, I'd get busy. I'd assemble my minions and demons into a strategy session and give them your picture and address. I'd review your weaknesses one by one. Don't think I don't know them. How you love to be liked and hate to be wrong. How cemeteries give you the creeps and darkness gives you the heebie-jeebies. I'd brief my staff on my past victories. Haven't I had my share? Remember your bouts with doubt? I all but had you. Convinced that the Bible was a joke? You and your so-called faith in God's word. I'd stealth my way into your mind. No frontal attacks for you. Witchcraft and warlocks won't work with your type. No, if I were the devil, I'd dismantle you with questions. How do you know, I mean truly, truly, truly know that Jesus rose from the dead? Are you sure you really believe the gospel? Isn't absolute truth yesterday's news? You, a child of God, come on. I might direct you to one of my churches, one of my feel-good, you-good, everything's-good churches. Half Hollywood, half pep talk, glitz, lights, and love, but no talk of Jesus. Sin, no mention of sin, hell, or forgiveness. I'd asphyxiate you with promises of pay raises and new cars. Then again, you're a bit sally for that strategy. Distraction would work better. I hate spiritual focus. When you or one like you gazes intently on God for any length of time, you begin to act just like him. A nauseating sense of justice and virtue comes over you. You talk to God, not just once a week, but all the time. Intolerable. So I perch myself on every corner and stairwell of your world, clamoring for your attention. I flood you with emails and to-do lists, entice you with shopping sprees and latest releases and newest styles, burden you with deadlines and assignments. If I were the devil, I'd so distract you with possessions and problems that you'd never have time to read the Bible. Especially the story of Jesus in the wilderness. What a disaster that day was. Jesus brought me down. Cold cock slammed me. Slammed down one right over my head. He knocked my best pitch over the green monster. I never even landed a punch. Looking back, I now realize what he was doing. He was making a statement. He wanted the whole world to know who calls the shots in the universe. If I were the devil, I wouldn't want you to read about that encounter. So for that reason alone, let's do. Hi everyone. (laughs) So, my title of my message for today is Don't Just Hear Me, Listen. So often in life we hear God's voice and uh, through through a prophetic word over us or through a dream. But also we start to hear the enemy's voice creep in when we get those prophetic words or when we hear God clearly. And the problem with that is that as soon as we start to hear the enemy's voice, we start to listen less to God sometimes. And then there's times when we hear God, but we don't listen. And what I mean by that is we hear him, but there's an instruction that he's given, and we're not obedient to that instruction. Or we have delayed obedience, which is actually disobedience. Okay? And sometimes, um, 
we hear him, but we don't understand what he's really saying. Like the experience I had recently, which I will sh- uh, share with you later on. But today I want to share with you uh, on spiritual warfare. We're always talking about God's voice, but today I want to talk about the enemy's voice. The voice that we actually choose to listen to. The enemy's strategy and how to take that sucker down. That's what we're talking about today. But before I do that, what did you guys think of that uh, extract that I read from Max Lucado? Wasn't that amazing? I mean, so often, we kind of focus on all the big ways the enemy tries to attack us, like he said, with warlocks or, or uh, Satanists, or um, I think somebody did something for you. But the enemy is there, right under our nose, watching every small way that he can attack us, and in the end, have us defeated, you know? Um, exactly as he said, with getting too busy, and shopping lists, and emails, and just not spending enough time with God that we leave an open door for the enemy. So... Um, I love, I love how he exposed the enemy there as a liar, as a pretender, as a father of lies, as a deceiver. You know, the enemy likes to twist the truth. He doesn't just give you something that's blatantly false. He likes to manipulate what's been said. He even uses scripture from the Bible to do that. And we see him as the father of lies and the prince of peace. Um, in the natural, we kind of we, 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 we wait for a big way that the enemy can attack us. But today, we're going to get into the smaller ways. Okay? Um, so the first thing you need to know about going into battle is who is the enemy, okay? So now I want, to picture, I want you guys to have this picture, so this whole um, thing that I'm going to share with you now, of you on a battlefield, okay? You're going into battle. So the first thing you need to know is who is your enemy, okay? So if you're on the battlefield and you're not sure who your enemy is, you're going to see your mother-in-law, you can go, dead. Brother, dead. Boss who doesn't want to give you a pain increase, dead. But then you're standing there and then the bullets are still coming. It's because you shot the wrong enemy. So you need to know who your enemy is, okay? And Ephesians 6.12 tells us exactly who our enemy is. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We struggle against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're fighting the devil. We're fighting Satan. So it also tells us there that you can't fight in the natural you have to fight in the spiritual. So if something's going on and you do have an argument with your boss and you see him as the enemy and you try and tackle him in the natural, it's not going to work. You have to see what's that thing that's going on behind the scenes. Who's the person that, that's getting them on your angry side? It's the enemy and we have to fight him in, in the spiritual. Then, before you go around to the battlefield, you, know, you need to know what is the enemy's plan, Okay. What is his big plan? Why does he want to go to war with you? In any battle, in any war, there's two sides. Okay, There's the enemy's side and then there's your side. If you're not on the enemy's side, you're his opposition. Okay, So the enemy, his major plan is to profane the name of God. Okay, and if you're not on his... And, and he's, actually, he's been doing this since the beginning of time. In Genesis... Um, we see him trying to profane the name of God with Eve and tempting her with a serpent. Right till Genesis, where the enemy's um, fate, fate is actually revealed, his destiny is revealed. But all the books in between, we see the enemy's plan. We see that it's to profane the name of God. We see Ahaz sacrifices his son in the fire of Molech. We see Job attacked by Satan. We see Jesus tempted after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Now imagine this, Jesus is starving. I mean... After 40 days and 40 nights, he's at his, his natural 
weakest, and that's when the enemy comes to attack. I mean, most of us, we can't even skip a meal. We're, we're so ravenous, and then we're so easily tempted by that box of lint chocolates, that sinful box. Now, imagine Jesus. He goes for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil knows he's vulnerable, and that's why he goes to tempt Jesus. So, in the same way, this is how he attacks us in our natural life. He looks for a point of where we are at our lowest of lows, where you're retrenched, or there's issues in your family, or things are going on that's not working your way, and then he comes. He's a master manipulator, you know? Um, if you look at the scripture, when he was tempted, Satan came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And we see Satan here as an opportunist. So he looks for the right time. So we have to be aware of that. And the Bible tells us that the enemy seeks whom he may devour. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober and vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, he wants to see who he can trick, who he can manipulate, who he can lie to, where he can trust the truth. So our job is not to allow ourselves to become a prey. So if you picture a roaring lion and a gazelle, okay? Now, the lion waits for the moment where the gazelle is alone so that he can attack. But a gazelle that's in a pack is hard because he's got backup. So the same way the church that we planted in is our backup. It's our cavalry, you know? And a gazelle that hides itself in the bushes and the trees is not seen easily by the enemy, by the roaring lion. So we need to hide ourselves in the tree of life in Jesus if we want that protection. Then the next thing you want to know is, before you go onto the battlefield, the commander usually gives you instruction, gives you that pep talk. You know, um, you know that movie with Mel Gibson where he's, uh, he's telling all the guys, listen, you, we're going to be victorious, and then, I don't know what it's called, and then he suddenly flashes them, and then they go into war. What's that movie called? Braveheart. Okay, so it's kind of like that. You need to know what's, you need to know the commander's voice, and what advice has he given you before battle. And this is the advice that God has given us, our commander. He tells us that Satan is not equal to God, in power, nor authority. Satan is basically a fallen angel. He has no power and authority. We greatly see that it's us than is in the world, you know? So we, we're also stronger than Satan. He tells us that Satan has already been defeated on the cross when Jesus became that perfect sacrifice. Now sometimes you kind of think, well, if Satan was defeated, then why are we still fighting him today? So I said to God, you're going to have to answer this one because I want to know, why do we have to still fight him? And God said, it's kind of like this. He says, he was found guilty and he was sentenced. But it is up to you to make sure that he carries out that sentence on earth. So kind of picture it like the Satan in prison. And he's always trying to find people. To, he's like that bad guy that's trying to find people as his backup. You know? So you have to be aware of that tactic. And then he also tells us that... Um, the victory is, is, our victory is secure. So before you even go on the battlefield, before you even um, go into war with the enemy, know that your victory is secure. So if you've had this pep talk by the commander, you're going to go on the battlefield and you're ready to fight. You know, you're not going to think, oh, what am, what am I going to do? He's given you the orders and he's, he's told you already. So that's where your strength lies. Now we need to know, why does the enemy target you? And as I said before, why does he target us? Because we're not on his side. When we chose to make Jesus the king of our lives, we basically told the devil, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Okay? We to and, and, and you no longer belong to the world. And as a result, the world hates you. And if you go to John 5, 19, it tells you there, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So basically, when you chose Jesus, he told the devil to bugger off. And now he knows you're a target and he wants to come after you. Um, then you need to have a battle plan before you go there. We know that enemy, the enemy attacks, um, attacks us from all angles, but we need to have a plan. We need to have a strategy. We need to have a modus operandi. And God gave us many tools. Okay? He gave us the Holy Spirit, who makes intercession for us. He gave us prayer. He told us to renew our mind in Christ. Um, he gave us the church. I call it our cavalry, our backup. And he gave us the full armor of God. And all these things, they're fully loaded weapons. I'm not talking AK-47s. I'm talking make, like military warfare. I'm talking fully loaded military bombs here. Okay? We have all this. We need to know how to use it. So when it comes to the full armor of God, um, it's called the whole armor, actually. If you go to Ephesians 6, verse 10, I want to show you something. That when I went through this um, trial recently and the enemy came after me, God sent me to the whole armor of God. And he wanted to show me a few things there. Um, that I really need to do to plant in my spirit. So in Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, the whole armor. The word whole implies you cannot leave one part of it out to be fully protected. You have to have every piece of that armor on. You need to gird your waist with truth. You need the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Above all, meaning most importantly, meaning you can't do without it, meaning if you have everything else that he mentioned above, but you don't have the faith, you're not fully protected. And then he goes on to say you need the sword of the spirit, which is the word. In battles, the sword is used to defend yourself. When you're fighting the enemy, you need the word of God to defend yourself. So if you go to the Bible and you look up scriptures and God's promises, and then you use it against the enemy, that's what it means to use the word as your sword. And Jesus did this too. He used the word as a sword. When the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Can you believe this guy? He actually quoted Psalm 91, the devil. He knows the Bible so well. Sneaky. And then Jesus answered him and said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then Satan said, Okay, let me try a little bit harder. He took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, I will give you all this, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? He said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, I mean, Jesus just said he had so much faith in the word of God that all he had to say was, it is written. And the devil had to flee. But sometimes we have a sword and we're not sure how to use it. Okay, so I'm going to need another swordsman for this illustration, but before I do that, I just want to explain something to you quickly with this. If you have the helmet of salvation, okay, you've got a school helmet, you're saved, but you don't have the sword, you're going to be defeated. It's going to come straight for you. It's protecting nothing. So you need to have a sword and you need to how to use it. Sometimes, you might even have other cool tools, like this arrow. You might be very skilled in it, but if you don't have a sword, you're still an open, you're still an open target. Okay? Sometimes you might even have other stuff. And I'm not talking about any of you here. I'm talking about other people. 
You might even have a golf club. For me, a golf club represents wealth, a rich person. So sometimes you might even think, maybe your money can protect you from the enemy's plans. But it can't, you don't have a sword. You need a sword. But the thing about a sword is you need to know how to use it. And you need to anticipate the enemy's next move. So if I can call Janelle as a swordsman, just for this illustration. Next move, you can protect yourself. <laughs> this enemy is spicy, right? But you can protect yourself. I'm not bleeding. But if you're going to stand around like a wallflower and you've got your sword but you don't know how to use it, the enemy is going to come to you and he's going to go for you. <laughs> and he's going to attack you. So it's pointless to have the sword and not know how to use it. So that's what we need to spend time. We need to spend time in the word learning how to use a sword. Okay? So when I said you need to, he, the enemy actually goes to attack your weak points. And he tries for everything, but he has a strategy of where he knows what your weak point is. And your weak points are usually your health, your children, your marriage, your relationships, and the prophetic word that you've been guarding with your life. That's what he tries to attack, because he knows if he can get you there, you'll be defeated. So let's just look quickly at health. If you have health issues, if you're sick, if you can't get out of bed, if there's things that you're depressed and disappointed about, He's already cheated you out of your victory because you're physically and spiritually not able to go and do kingdom work. So you're sitting there and you tend to feel sorry for yourself and you say, God, why me? And that's how the enemy attacks you. And if you're here today and if you're suffering with an illness and there's something that you need to conquer, I want to tell you that he, he, with his stripes we healed. You know, that's already paid for. So if you're here and you need healing at the end of the service, you're welcome to come to the front and we'll pray for you. And we'll show you exactly how we can defeat the enemy. The next thing is our children. Now, you know in the Bible, there's many blessings and promises for the children of God. And this is why the enemy wants to attack them. But he's so sneaky. He tries to come in at a, at a very early age. And in the most, I don't know if this, this word, this is even a word, unobvious, most unlikely ways. Like when we allow our kids to watch movies like Harry Potter or Vampire Diaries. You know, we don't realize it, but we actually, we're opening them up to the occult. And we're causing an interest and intrigue in their minds. And then the enemy can go to work there. And things like, um, you know, even, even the friends that they join. The enemy is so sneaky that he knows that at that ripe age, when they're children, they have hormones working against them. Okay, and they have peer pressure working against them. So he tries to come in at that stage where he knows they're most vulnerable. Because it's easier to take a child's eyes away from the Lord, get him distracted with, with other things than it is for an adult. So as parents, we need to know this is the enemy's strategy. But we also need to be aware of how he comes against us and uses us against our kids. And there's two ways he does that. Well, two main ways. Guilt and anger. So sometimes we, we get so busy at work. This is just one example of guilt. We get so busy at work that we tend to say, okay, let's just buy them an iPad and a this and a that. And we stuff them with technology, but then we don't monitor what they're doing on this technology. You know, And there's different portals that the enemy can use to come in. So out of guilt, we give them everything that they need, 
to occupy themselves, and we don't feel so guilty, but the enemy goes to work there. The other thing is anger. I mean, sometimes you'll see, you might, I don't know, it could have been happened to you previously, you get a letter from the teacher saying your child was in a fight in school, or... Um, or, you know, he uh, he's, has a focus issue. Or she's not paying attention in class and she's being nasty. Or she's not getting good results. And the first thing we do, what do we say as parents? Like, I'm paying so much for your schooling and this is the result that I get. And how, how can you expect me? You're so useless. Da, 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 and we go on. I think about it. Would God treat us like that? Imagine every time God said to you, I gave you this. I paid for this. But you're useless. And t- I, I'm taking this away from you. You know, so we really need to know that as parents, we have to stand there and protect our children. We have to bring them up in the ways of the Lord so that they know what is the enemy's attack. But we also have to fight on their behalf. And we do that in love, okay, not in anger. Um, so that's how the enemy actually takes a dig at parents. And sometimes we don't even see it coming. Uh, and we just, we end up actually pushing them away because now we've hurt their feelings, we haven't dealt with it properly. And then, they feel like they can't come back to us and tell them about stuff that's going on because mom and dad is going to react in this way. And then when they're not talking to us, they're talking to other people. And we don't know who these other people are and the enemy can come through in that way. Okay? So we, we need to, children need to have boundaries set for them because they thrive when there's boundaries. So we shouldn't feel bad about if this kid is doing that and that child has that. We need to put those boundaries in place and this is how God expects us. You know, he's, he's put boundaries, he's put laws, he's put commandments and a loving father does that for their child, a loving mom. We need to that, do that too. The next way that the devil attacks is marriage. The devil he loves to drive a wedge in our marriage because he knows that God made us relational. Okay, it was God's idea to give Adam a helper, uh, to give Adam Eve as a helper. So the enemy wants to show that this wasn't a good plan of God's. So if he can come and drive a wedge and separate us, he's profaning the name of the Lord. And trust me, he's going to try. Um, so the next time you have a tip with your spouse, remember who the enemy really is. So what I did was I made up the scenario... I need some water if I do that. I made up this scenario um, about a couple that's fighting and how the enemy actually goes behind the scenes and he's working, which we don't really get to see. Uh, it's a bit funny, but it's, it's also serious. So think about it on the serious note, okay? So the husband walks in, grumpy-faced. Let's call him Ted. He has shopping bags in his hands. Now, guys, before I tell you any further, my husband said... Ah, Amanda, when you're going to say the scenario, everybody's going to think it's me. I said, babe, you know what? If I say he was grumpy and he had shopping bags in his hand, they're going to know it's not you because whenever there's food, you're happy. So, guys, this is, the scenario is not anything that happens in my home. It's just a scenario that I made up, okay? So, husband walks in grumpy-faced. Let's call him Ted. Ted has shopping bags in his hand. He walks in angry and says, I've been sitting for two hours in traffic this morning and now I had to wait 20 minutes at the till because this ridiculous teller tells me the four custards you wanted are not on special any longer because you know how you can get through three in one night and then complain you're getting fat. So I'm standing there for 20 minutes waiting for her to rectify this and I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten all day because Rupert at work made a mess of the accounts. He put incorrect figures in, and guess who has to fix his mistakes? I don't even know if this guy went to the university or he went past the university. So I had to leave my work to fix his work, and his work is dependent on my work. So my work only starts now. So that God's Not Dead DVD that you've been nagging me to watch is going to have to wait for another time. Washing his hands and going to the pot on the stove, he looks inside 
and exclaims in frustration, Veggie soup? Where's the meat? My mother was right, you'll never be able to cook like her. And there you have it. Wife goes to bed angry, hurt, disappointed. Husband sits on laptop, hangry, hungry and angry, hurt and disappointed. Devils dance in the kitchen, stirring the veggie soup, laughing. It's just as he hoped. Strife in the home. Now, how many of you know that the devil keeps a journal, he keeps a diary? Did you know that? So, let's take a peek into his diary, what he logged that night after this whole scenario. This is the devil in his diary. Dear diary, what a fun-full day I had. I had the most magnificent time. Boy, did I get under Ted's skin today. It was way better than that time he went for a haircut and I made the hairdresser sneeze and he had that big patch on his head. No, this was way cooler. I woke up super early, laugh out loud, super. Super. So as I was saying, I heard on the news the route he takes to work was going to have robots. Ah, you know they announced it on that nauseating channel he listens to, the one with the sleepy church music, I think it's called the Gospel Channel. So I knew he was going to use that old route, so I went ahead of him. I jackknifed the timber truck, and voila, poor old Ted sat in two hours of traffic. Oh, and did I mention with a full ladder, he had that disgusting kiwi shake he has every morning. It's not getting any thinner, you know. By the time he walked his way through the traffic, I was already having fun and games with Rupert. Rupert stayed up again to watch Man United lose again. When will he ever realize I won't let that team win? Anyway, red-eyed Rupert was already sleepy, so I just distracted him some more so he, so he could mess up those accounts. Oh boy, did Ted go berserk trying to fix the mess. As for that custard special, pretty neat, right, how I stalled him for another 20 minutes? And who do you think gave Mary the fabulous idea to make a veggie soup on the day Ted would come home ravenous? Ha ha, yes, yes. She, sure, she, she might have seen it on the Jamie Oliver channel, but who do you think convinced her to make it? And who knew soup could stop them watching God's Not Dead? Oh, please, just the title gives me heebie-jeebies. So once again, they had no time for God, went to bed, rather peeved. All in all, I'd say I had a victorious day. Signed, D. And this is exactly how the devil operates. We may not see it, but he goes behind the scenes and he tries to fiddle with all the little things that can annoy us so that at the end of the day, we don't have enough time for God because we're too busy fighting with each other, complaining about the co-workers, about the lady in the store. And that's his tactic. Um, the last way we went to discuss is the devil attacks our prophetic word. I just want to see how I'm doing for time. The devil attacks our prophetic word. So I want to share with you an experience that I had recently where the devil attacked my prophetic word. And all this that I shared with you, God, the Holy Spirit schooled me in the five weeks that I stayed at home on my so-called maternity leave. And uh, so let me just draw the picture for you, okay? So we had been praying, my husband and I, for a baby girl. And then it was taking a very long time to happen. And then I said to God, well, when is this going to happen? And God said, over Easter. So I said, okay, cool. When I fell pregnant, I worked out the date, and it was around Easter weekend. So I was like, yay, God is so faithful. And then suddenly, my husband and I both started having dreams that the baby is coming early. So I'm going to give you an example of a dream because I want you guys to see how sneaky and how he attacked every part of that, that prophetic dream. So my husband had this dream that we were going to the hospital 
The guy, he cuts out the baby. He looks at the baby and he says, Oh, the baby is fine, but we've already cut it out so we can't put it back in. And then he starts freaking out. You know, he's always the one freaking out in the dream, not me. <sighs> he was the one freaking out and saying, What are we going to do? He's cut the baby out already. Let's call the pediatrician. And I said to him, Relax, the baby's fine. You know, we don't need to call the pediatrician. Um, and then suddenly he takes a walk out of the room and the room changes to lifestyle garden center and he goes to the gardener and he says to the gardener, I need some fertilizer for the roses. And the gardener says, he says, which fertilizer should I use? And the gardener says, you can use whatever fertilizer you want. The roses are going to be perfect. So what the dream meant was, the baby's going to come early. Okay? The measurement, she was, they took her out but they couldn't put her back and they were measuring her. Okay? And he needed fertilizer, so he wanted her to be in longer, to grow longer. And he was panicking. But in the dream, God was showing us that she will be perfect. Okay? So, we, so what started to happen after that was, he says, well, how do we know if we should rebuke this word? I said, well, I don't think we should because you had peace at the end of the dream. And it was a full-color dream. And I phoned Paul to share with him. And Paul's like, well, ask God for his perfect timing. You know? So that's what we did. And I said, God, you know what? I want to know now. You know how impatient I am. I want to know now. Is she, is she coming early or what is this? Is this a soul dream or what? Then we had four other dreams where the baby was coming early. In every dream, she was coming early. And in every dream, she was going to be perfect. There was nothing going to be wrong. But a few things added on, added on in each dream. Then the baby comes early, five weeks early. What I had been doing to prepare myself was preparing my hospital bag. Because this is what I thought God said. I said to my husband, make sure the room is painted. The baby's coming early. Make sure we have everything for the hospital hospital bag. The baby's coming early. So I'd go, winter pajamas, summer pajamas. Nah, I think it's going to be hot in there. Summer pajamas, winter pajamas. Feeding bra, bedroom slippers. Okay? Make sure everything I needed for hospital was packed. But what I missed out was he gave me the dream, all in all, four times because I was missing something. And I could just thought after that, after this whole thing, when everything was revealed, I thought the angels must have stood there, folded their arms, and said, God, you said this one is the obedient one, but she's so dumb. Like, she's not getting it. You know, we're telling her four times, but she's still with the hospital bag. What God was telling me is not just the baby's early, she's going to be premature. And, and it sounds obvious now, but nowhere in my mind did I understand that he was trying to prepare me for a premature baby. I just had all the things prepared, you know? Um, and, I, and I really think that they did laugh at me. And the thing is, if I had, if I had heard and listened, you see how I only heard, but I didn't listen, okay? Because I was too busy looking at the other details of the dream. I would have been prepared for what I was going to face. I would have prepared myself emotionally, spiritually, and physically. But I wasn't. I wasn't prepared, even though he tried to prepare me. So we bring baby home the first week, and that's when the enemy starts to attack. So at the hospital when we were leaving, because she was five weeks pregnant, she was under two kilos, they said, listen, we've got to keep her in ICU. And in one dream, it actually said, she will go to neonatal ICU, but she'll be perfect. And God is so faithful. Even when she was in neonatal ICU, um, all the other babies were bigger than her, you know? And, uh, and, and not, so, not so much... Like she was five weeks prim, the uh, children that were closer to the birth date but still premature. But Hannah didn't have any plugs attached to her. They merely had to keep her to monitor. She was perfect, as God said. And then we left an open door for the enemy, which we didn't realize until later. Uh, when we were leaving, the pediatrician said, Well, do you want to do this test where you can see like any um, like long term issues? 
abnormalities or whatever the child might have. It's a new thing. So we assume that because she was premature, this is you know part of the, the package, the, the experience, you need to do it. And we just said, yeah, fine, we signed it and we did it. But what I didn't do was God said she was going to be perfect. So I should have said, whether it's compulsory or not, I don't want it. God said she's perfect. But we didn't think about it. We were just like so rushed. And you know when you're emotional and we overlooked that. So we bring her home. And the first week, we, would, we get a phone call from the pediatrician's office. And they said, um, we're just phoning you to tell you we did a blood test and your child has an abnormality. She has something called galactosemia. And uh, so then I said, well, what is that? So she says, well, it's something where the body can't digest breast milk or formula. The child can't thrive. And these are the things that's going to happen. So, well, naturally, what do you do? You Google, right? So I Googled what is galactosemia. And then it showed you all the bad things that can happen. The child can have brain damage, sudden death, hectic stuff. You know, a learning disability. And then I said, God, but how can this be? Because you said to me, that she's going to be perfect. And that's when I thought we left that open door. When God said she's going to be perfect, we should not have done that test. Because then sneaky little enemy tried to creep in. So what I did was, uh, God, so God showed me all this. He showed me, put on the whole armor of God. He said, make sure that faith is at the top of the list. Have your sword. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you just had a baby, you're so tired. You, you, feel, you feel physically defeated. Because um, you haven't slept, you're still trying to get the baby to latch on, it's hectic. And God said to me, make this room your war room. So what I started to do was, when he started, whatever he started to talk to my spirit about, all the verses, all the scriptures, I'd write them on my wall, and I would, I would write them on a piece of paper, and i stick them on my window. Because now I was told that when a premature baby, you can't take the baby out for at least two to three months, because the immunity is not built up. They need to um, be away from germs, normal germs that we can fight. So I'm thinking, oh man, this is so hard. I can't do this. And God said, make it your war room. And I put up that scripture in my window and I used to go over it all the time. And every time I felt like I physically don't have the energy, I called the cavalry. We got a little sister's chat, phone up my girls and say, I need you guys to pray with me. I'm feeling so weak today. And then I'd have that backup and then I'd get scripture and I'll get God's promises sent to me. So it's so, so important to be planted somewhere where you can access God's people when you're too weak. Okay? Don't, and don't, don't be too proud to say, I can do this on my own. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for years. Because when the enemy comes to sucker punch you, when he blindsides you, you need your friends. You need your spiritual backup. Okay? Um, so that's what we did. We prayed. We fasted. And then only when she was six weeks, we said, we, we, we said we're doing a retest. So we went for a retest. And they said she's 100% perfect, as God said. But we had to knock that devil for a six, okay? And that's when God showed me how to use all these things that I've shared with you to put the devil in his place. So now, you know, when you choose to serve God, the enemy comes to attack, but there's times where you feel like he's really coming fast and furious. And that's what started to happen, because before they told us that it was clear, they said we needed to get a blood test for this tiny little baby so they can retest it. And boy, was it a mission. We had to go three days in a row to get this blood test. Now, think about it. A tiny little baby, she's only like a week old, and five weeks prim, and they're trying to get 10 moles. And then we went... They try the first day, they're like, oh no, we can't get 10 moles, maybe we need to go home and feed her and come when the baby's just fed. We go home, feed the baby, come back, baby's just fed, we can't get 10 moles, why don't you go and go to the hospital where you, where you had the baby? Oh, when I got there, I was in tears, and I said, I can't do this, like... 
10 moles from a tiny baby, this can't be right. And Holy Spirit was telling me, this is not, it's not the norm. So eventually I said to the lady, listen, phone the lab and ask the lab. Uh, and the lab said you only needed 1.5 moles. And they were trying to get 10 moles. And I was so upset. So now they said, okay, fine, let's get the 1.5 moles. We know. So we're there. And um, this is where the whole arm of God came in full circle for me. So now, you know, and a tiny baby, it's hard to get it from the vein, and you have to, like, sort of draw the blood out. So they're there, and the whole thing took four minutes. But after two minutes, I could not bear to see her face go blue, and she's screaming. You know when your child is in absolute pain, and you can't do anything? And the Holy Spirit said to me, whole armor of God. And he took me to that verse where he said, be always in prayer and supplication, and praying in the Spirit. So, I, after two minutes of this torture, I started praying in tongues. And suddenly she went, <gasps> and we thought she fainted. She fell fast asleep while they were taking her blood, midstream of crying in this major tantrum. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of praying in tongues. And God said to me, you need to pray more in tongues. He says, don't wait until you're at this point of where you feel uh, defeated to pray in tongues. Pray always. You know, when, when the scripture says pray always um, with prayer and supplication, it means every time, every season, every moment, always. Sometimes when we pray, we don't know what the right prayer is to pray, but when we're praying in the Spirit, we give the Holy Spirit room to make intercession for us. And when I got home, God said to me, because you're praying in the Spirit, the devil doesn't know how to interpret tongues. So he didn't know what you were asking me to do. And what you were actually praying, the Holy Spirit was asking me to make the baby sleep. Did you know that? I'm like, no, God, I was just praying. So it was so powerful. This whole time was so powerful. He tried every single angle, but he, he just couldn't win. And that's why God put it on my heart today to come here and share with you guys that even though the devil, the devil will try hard, the victory is ours. The victory is secure. He cannot, he cannot come against us if we are in full armor. So, if you don't have your sword today, you might want to get it out. If you're not planted in a church and you ain't got no cavalry, I suggest you do that pretty soon. But just know that the victory is yours. Okay? Um, and the, the, the thing I want you to understand is, if you have a prophetic word and you feel like it's being attacked today, okay? The reason he does that is because that word is meant to encourage you, to edify you, to strengthen you. It's meant to um, give you hope, give you direction. And it's meant to take you. The, your prophecy is actually meant to carry you. You, don't, you shouldn't carry your prophecy. Your prophecy should carry you. So when you're in a time like this, you need to go back and say, well, God said that the baby will be perfect. So because of that, I reject this word. That's what you need to do your, with your prophecy. You use it as your sword and your shield as well. And, um, you know, um, the enemy is very sneaky. He comes at a time where you least expect it. So you always, always have to be on guard. You always have to be in that, as I showed you with that, um, with Dinal, you always have to be standing in position to fight. You might have a sword, but if you don't take up the position and you're not radiated every time, you can still be defeated. So it doesn't help to just have the sword. You've got to know how to use it. You've got to know where are his weak points. And if you know that, then you're ready for the battle and the victory surely is yours. Amen? Okay, so I'm just going to pass you over to Paul to close in prayer for us. I hope that helped you. I hope it helps you to uh, quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And just remember that um, when your faith, your faith is the fiery darts, and you can tell the devil to go take a hike, and all you've got to say is, it is written, bye. <laughs>
Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Some of you may be sitting here and say, well, uh, trying to think, well, what, what's my prophetic word? Maybe you didn't, you know, get a specific word or, or about situations and things. And, um, well, God's word, the Bible, the whole thing is God's prophetic word to us. We're believers. We're sons of God. That's gender inclusive, okay? Sons. Um, so we are sons of God. Every promise of God that Scripture contains is a prophetic word to us. It's God's word to us. It is not for certain individuals here or anything. And so I just want to add on to that. I mean, we need to hear from the Lord specifically, and we should because He is our strength. He is our shield. He is that force field all around us under the shadow of His wings, Psalm 91. We abide. Okay? So He is the Word of God made flesh. He, in other words, He makes Himself um, flesh in, in our situation in the sense of He, he, he takes action. He, he's, he is there the angels are on standby and released by the word of faith that we, when we believe the word of God, we take that sword of the spirit and we step forward in faith and belief, say, oh, this, this doctor's report is ABC. But Jesus says, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am your healer. So the choice is which word are we going to look towards? Are we going to are we going to gravitate to, towards what somebody says, no matter how helpful their intention may be, or are we going to securely embed ourselves in the Word of God, which is God Himself, Jesus, the Word made flesh? So Jesus said, I am Jehovah Rapha. It says that He bore every sickness, every disease, in Isaiah 53 4, and Matthew 8 17 says that. You know, he healed them all, thus fulfilling what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Just like, a little bit later, it says, he bore our sins. Hey, that's cool. What's happening there? <laughs> that's my, <laughs> that my time. <laughs> <Some> music. <laughs> okay, so Jesus bore, in Isaiah 53, you can go read it there. It says he bore our sicknesses, he bore our disease, and he bore our sins. If Jesus bore our sins... His intention is that we do not need to continue in them, correct? If he bore our sicknesses and disease, the same thing applies. It is his intention that we do not need to continue in them. Purely upon the basis of what he has bore. Okay? Not on the basis of anything else. You know, lately I've been, um, you know, just reminded to just think like Jesus. Putting on the mind of Christ is something that we need to habitually pay attention to. How are we thinking? What is our way of thinking about anything? You know, Would God, because he's in you, right? If you're a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So since God is in us, and it's, the scripture tells us, put on the mind of Christ. It says we are a new creation. Put on the mind of Christ. What, what does that mean? That means he wants us to think his thoughts. The only way that... Uh, his life can be projected in and through us and uh, the Holy Spirit like rivers of living water coming through and changing things to conform to his will is if we are thinking the way he thinks and we, we understand how he thinks by his word. So we have, 
We hear the word, we receive the word, we believe the word, we act on the word. He is the word. So when you're thinking about something, whether it's a relationship situation, whether your boss irritates you, whether you're stuck in traffic, what other examples you get, whether there's sickness, disease, whatever the case may be, how would Jesus deal with that? We need to, Scripture tells us, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, the obedience part releases God to work on our behalf, to do the miracle. That's where our faith, where we walk by faith, not by sight, comes in. So, when, when we're in a situation, um, okay, so for me lately, I've just been thinking, okay, maybe there's a situation, or maybe I need to minister to somebody, maybe, and, and I have to keep, uh, sometimes just keep myself in the mind of Christ. And say, and, and understand that this is my inheritance. The mind of Christ is my inheritance. Not just his mind, but his life. You know, we get to live in him. But we're specifically looking at his way of thinking. Okay? So, um, if we put on the mind of Christ, that means you're faced with a situation. The doctor says this, or the situation is this. And so we respond and say, I speak life. You know, that's what Jesus did. In, in every situation. You know, when, he, when people came to him and they needed freedom, they needed healing, whatever the case may be. You know, if he thought like a man, like a person, a human, with human limitations, the life of God would not be able to be transmitted through him. If we think like human flesh, limited ways of thinking, we will not be transmitters of the very life of God. The Holy Spirit in us wants to come through us. And each one of us sitting here, if we are believers, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is there to do the works of God. The works which no human can do. But He needs our cooperation. He needs us to put on the mind of Christ, which is the glasses of the Word of God. The mind of Christ is revealed through what He says, His Word. So when we take His Word as a personal Word to us, and we say, and we just train ourselves. He said we need to practice if you want to become good at squash or football or whatever the case may be, you need to practice. You're not going to sit at home eating potato chips, watching television and become a professional football player. That, that you can watch all the videos you want you know, about playing football and all the techniques, but if you're just sitting there eating potato chips, you're not going to be that professional football player. You need to practice, right? You need to put into practice what you're seeing, what you're learning, those, those skills, those truths. You know, we read the scripture, take up the whole armor of God, the, the sword of the Spirit. I mean, it is not the hearers who are justified. The scripture tells us about the doers. Why? Because only when we do, do we experience and is, you know, that part of working out what is within you. Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God who is at work within you to will and to do His good pleasure. We have salvation. We have Jesus. We have the full um, strata of every freedom that God gives us. Now we need to work that out. How? By all that potential of life in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory, we need to believe His word. We need to implement his word. We need to act on his word. When we're faced with a situation, we, we, we make ourselves think how Jesus would think about that. When you find your thoughts drifting out into human reason, you pull it back. And you say, and you just, 
You don't have a debate with yourself. <laughs> you decide. You see, in your heart, you believe. You decide what you will believe. Nobody else decides. I will not. God doesn't decide for us what we believe. We decide to trust Him or not. So when we find our thoughts thinking in a human way, and that's that's not going to part the life of God, pull it back. Bring every thought captive, and just we know what His will is. He is for us. Health, healing, freedom, life, whatever is good, true, lovely. Everything Jesus embodied when he walked on earth. Jesus never put sickness and disease on anyone. Jesus never killed anybody. Jesus never, uh, you know, what did he do? He healed, he helped, he brought freedom, he inspired people to have faith and trust in God because only that way can people be free. God wants to set us free. Freedom lies in believing his word. Freedom lies squarely in acting in faith upon what God has said. And that provides freedom. Because the enemy's playground, the only way that he can have any form of success with us is if he can get us to doubt God's word. If he can, if he, if he can get us playing his form of football on his playing field, the playing field of human limitations, human possibilities. Because once the God factor comes in, once God comes into the equation, game over. He's defeated. Jesus won the victory. There's no battle in terms of who's going to win the devil. Jesus won. He conquered fear and death. And that's why he can set us free now. That's why he has set us free. And so the, the, the battle is won. We need to now walk in the victory that Jesus provided. That is up to us to choose, to bring every thought captive, to put on the mind of Christ, respond how Jesus would respond, speak how Jesus would speak. Yes, but your carnal mind would, might be freaking out and yelling at you, or you're a crazy woman. No, 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 we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, right? His word shows us the way to go. Just look in the word of God. Do you want a prophetic word? Look right there. Growing up into the fullness, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does that look like? Looks like Jesus. Christ in you. The hope of glory. All the potential of God. Every work and miracle that Jesus performed wasn't done by Jesus, the man of flesh. It was done by the Holy Spirit. Through him, the same Holy Spirit that dwells in every believer. Every the walking on the water, the water into wine, the raising the dead, the cleansing the lepers, the opening the eyes of the blind, you name it. The one who did those miracles is living inside of you right now. Now is the time, the day of salvation. Scripture tells us. Now, it's, you know, it's, Jesus was always, when people would come, now, today, is the day of salvation. It was never a, uh, Oh, and the sweet by and by. Jesus said, now is the day of salvation. And he always tried to get others to believe so that they could walk in that freedom of that believing God brings. We will be in bondage and subject to what people can offer and say until the day we decide, you know what? It was for freedom that Christ set me free. I will not be a slave of men, a slave of people. I'm going to begin to walk in the freedom that God provides. What freedom? His life. Our life is hid in Christ in God. What does that mean? The 
enemy can't touch us as we abide in him. Jesus said, John 15, abide in me and I in you. Then you will ask whatever you will and it will be done because you abide in him. God is for us, not against us. As we abide in him, we walk with him, our life is hid in Christ and God, what fiery dart can the enemy shoot to, to penetrate God? How do we abide in Him? By faith. We walk by faith in Him, in His Word, in His promises. We need to come to the point where we really choose to believe God's Word. And we make God's Word our paradigm. And we walk with Him. We abide in Him. What He says, we cling to. And we don't fall down with human reasonings and human expectations. So, I challenge you, I'll leave you with that thought. Put on the mind of Christ, Scripture tells us. Challenge yourself to bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ. How would Jesus respond? Respond that way. What would Jesus think? Think that thought. What would Jesus do? Do that action. That's what we're talking about. That that is abiding. That is abiding. So, um, That's how we take up the whole armor of God and and all that armor is going to be shiny and functioning as we abide in Him. So Jesus, we present ourselves, we just say we are yours and we thank you for the privilege that uh, you are ours and we are you and the two are made one and you're not far away. We abide in you. You are the miracle working Savior, Healer, God, Provider, And you're right here. And we choose to trust in you. We choose to bring every thought captive to the goodness and love and power of God. Your love, your mercy, your power. And we choose to just abide in you so that we not only will be partaking of your life, your life-giving flow, but we will pressed down, shaken together, running over, spill over onto everybody we come in contact with. And we will be an example of an ambassador of of your kingdom, what your kingdom is like. Like Jesus lived and demonstrated the freedom of the Spirit, the power of your Spirit. And we thank you that we can walk the same, the same works, and greater because Holy Spirit, you are with us and we choose to abide in you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, um, yeah, God bless you. God is with you, in you. Choose to believe. Choose, you choose. Choose to believe. Choose to speak life choose to do what Jesus would do and you'll see the miracles unfold okay so God bless you uh, there's tea and coffee outside is outside there if anybody would like ministry a uh, few of us will be here to do that and we serve a miracle working God so God bless you we love you 
Hi, my name is Paul Warren Gray with Life Mission. If you'd like more audio and video teachings like this one, please visit our website at www.lifemission.org.za. That's www.lifemission.org.za. And if you are in the Johannesburg area in South Africa, we hope you'll drop in so we can meet you in person. Details are on the website.